Tonight, as we turned the corner into this new gulf, I got stopped by several old Alabama hotels that still had this tavern feature that really just proved itself as a desert. It was really just a fun spot for people to come get close. So here we go. Who am I? I am a sanctified saint who's been given grace and made good with every day. I laugh Over handing out Panera bread, and I'll never forget 
said they helped me. So really think about this book and how can you get into the fiction library outside of escape history and like current life together and I came up first and he knew it was wrong and it's just those two characters that see how we have a passion for this hobby but yet God is so wonderful and he's so gracious in how he builds our hearts and our lives and gives us the gift of
we have such a growth mindset. We're so contagious and we have such an exuberance and a way we want to communicate and talk to others about what we have. And that's doing the work in our daily life and in our family because if we think about it, we're planting those beautiful seeds. That is going to be a backbone foundation for that is like, okay, we are going to be the church because we made that a priority. We are planting that seed. We're watering it. And when we read a story about Paul and the easy to change minds and we get to know him as a person, we see this heart letter, which he wrote, but between the lines, between those verses, we're aware of his intense love. Intense love. He will do anything to make sure they get it, even to the extent of calling an offering a sacrifice. And in the SC, that part is labeled an intense love. That is such a strong priority for them to make sure that no matter what happens, we're willing to go the distance to do what's right because we love God above all. But then we want to make sure that in every way, in every corner of your life, he's glorified. And so you connect well with others. You maintain relationships with people in friends and neighborhoods. You connect well with your own family when you're visiting children in each case. Six. same way I see Paul saying, I'm a father to you, we have that same attitude because God created the uniqueness of each of us. He created you uniquely loved. And that's because you love God's word and you're obedient to your father in heaven who wants to see the world change. And God brings all sorts of challenging things to put roadblocks in front of us to make us question whether or not we're really doing it right. Or maybe we didn't do it the way we have to make it where we are getting the authority. And when I think about you, Sandra, and I think about your life and where you come from and where you are and how God is continually bringing you up, I know that testimony is because you love him. No matter what else, you love him. And you love your marriage, you love the, your family relationships, right? And that is a priority for you because he is a priority for you. And we come back to that over and over and over and over. And it's a sacrificial love and we're willing to do that. Because we have made a commitment to God's word first, not for Bible study, because we love it. We love it. And I pray that as we continue on with this exploration of what is right for you, that you will start to really see yourself as, okay, I'm an extension of of Paul's ministry. I'm an extension then of this ministry here. And so the circle of God is growing. And I pray you that I know that God is calling you that you will see that and he'll move through and grow into the people and use you to do certain things and have the body of Christ do that for you. And so I want you to know what a wonderful blessing you all are and what a blessing that God is to you. So, so welcome to the end and the beginning of this portion of our study. And I cannot have gotten to the end after First Corinthians 16. So, if you haven't already, go ahead and get to that chapter. And Paul begins here in the very opening part of chapter 16 concerning the collection for the saints. This part is, is an interesting segue, if I can think of it that way, uh, because 
when you think about what he has been talking about, and then just shift, he asks, could do it right like say it really powerfully right and, and make sure they had their their emphasis deficit exactly opposite of syllabic <laughs> death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your treasure the sting of death is sin the power of sin is the law but thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in your labor is not in vain. Paul has his focus exactly where it needs to be in five areas. The future. The future. Paul is future focused. Second is the kingdom. He's about the kingdom. The kingdom that's at hand here and the kingdom of God to come. The hope that we have because of that future, because of that kingdom. Fourth, the transcending. And because of that, the purpose for five. Any of that is completely wasted if it wasn't for this. Take a look at chapter 15 at the end of verse 7. He says, <laughs> If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you have grown sins. And boy, were they in their sins. I mean, he opens up First Corinthians, letting them have it, right? And such were some of you, and that they long lived. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And with that, he launches into a bold reminder that our steadfast, immovable, always abounding support for us, what is our hope on him? So, therefore, continue to collect my service. As I directed the church of the Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, we believe, put something aside and store it up as he made profit so that there will be no collecting when I come. In this, this passage of Austin, I'm pretty sure it was the second one we had. My husband's been probably going to two, two of them for a year on and on and on. Took me to Bible to Dollar. And he said, oh, I could just preach the entire sermon on just those two verses. <laughs> and here we are again. Love the guy preaching it because it's like this as kind of a topical covering of it. There's great reminder here that we need to be in the regular habit of doing that which we learn in Christ weekly, right? Weekly. Listen to what he says and think about the principle behind the directive that he was giving. And I'm going to say it in four terms. Number one, give. Give for the saints. Give. The expectation is. This is somebody who is, you're you. He's talking to us. We are saints. 
enemy says, hey, I want you to do it. Concerning the corruption, as I direct the church in Galatia, so you also are to do. I'm not just saying this stuff is cute. I already told the people in Galatia they needed to be doing it. You need to be doing this as well. Each one of you, he says. So no one is left out. Everyone should give. Adults should give. Teens should give. Children should give. If you have benefits, and you have, from the gospel message, then you should give. And so everyone is blessed because everyone should give. And it's interesting as he makes a point of saying it on Sunday, on the first day of the week. Now, in Hebrew, they don't have the word Sunday because that's the name of the Greek name for Roman Catholicism. It's Yom Shabbatan, which means Sunday. In Jewish tradition, the day the day of the week always named is first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. So the first day of the week, first day is Sunday. But we know the first day of the week as Sunday because it is first fruits under the Jewish religious calendar day. So we see the tradition affirmed that started with anyone who says, well, you know, you said Jesus died and that was not biblical. It doesn't say that. If you're under the new covenant, it's, it's the first day and Paul gives us a reference right here for that. So it should be on a Sunday. And then what's interesting is he said, put something aside. Notice there's no mention here of tithing. If tithing was still in effect, he would have said tithe. Put your 10% aside. That was Jewish law. That was the requirement of the law. And the Jews were so ritualistic about it and said, they didn't even pluck out their seeds, put them in dill seeds, and then put one aside. And then 10 cumin seeds, and then put one aside. They would count all their seeds to make sure they didn't mess up. And that's not happening anymore. There's no need for a tithe. Tithe should always be the tithe. Anything that we're going to be giving is now out of a channel heart, which is the Holy Spirit. Tithing is not a New Covenant command at all. But in the same way that Christ overrode and fulfilled the entire law, he actually made it even bigger on us. Because you have heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. I say if you even cheat in your heart, you shouldn't murder. I say if you hate it. You've heard it said tithe 10%. I say give it all. 100%. Can you live off one? Live off one. Tithe 99%. So that's Paul's motion here as well. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a second in this. But the idea is not 10% should not be the standard amount of tithe to fulfill the law. It's always to be a measure of Overflowing to abundance of thankfulness. So next he says, and store it up. Save it throughout the week. And this would have been because it probably would have been paid immediately or monthly. Um, but they would have been paid immediately. So you expect it out from of that. Save it up and give what you can and make it work. But be intentional and controlled. Bring in your offerings. And it's an indication here that Paul expects discipline
The outcome to be given to this big glamorous needs of getting out is to be regularly given to the wrong or nice over-the-over-the-top over the gift or extra social security. Then, as God blesses you, you'll outside look to other organizations to support your social security number and to pursue it in that community of billions, literally, as well. And then he says, as he may prosper, and I don't think the ESV is as clear here as the NEC, which says, save it to the extent that God has blessed you, or the NIV that says, in keeping with your income, right? That's the, that's the idea of the ESV, as you may prosper, as if it's to say, if you give, you'll, you will prosper, but it's not like that. anything to do with prosperity gospels at all and the ESV is not quite as tight on that as the NIV so the idea here is whatever you've been blessed with trust God and take care of your needs and then Paul doesn't want he says so that there will be no collecting when I come Paul doesn't want his personality to override anything happening and feel like anyone that he shows up and they're pressured to give to him by them he also doesn't want him to give when he's there because he doesn't want to see that. He doesn't want to see, um, you know, Marcos over here making a big show and handing in his offering and having it come back to him. And this goes back to what you guys have said. I want it back. Right? He's expecting it um, to be uh, a lot. Um, and he's also expecting it to be an act of obedience. It's an act of obedience. So he says, when I arrive, I'll send those whom you will credit by letter to carry your gift to advisable that I should go also they will come to me so Paul has this idea that it's going to be a tithing offering the idea is they're going to be giving it to people because this is the next Jerusalem Jerusalem was uh, as the hands of the divine were bound during this time and there was a lot of poverty in Jerusalem and so Paul is expecting that people to rally together and to give so that he can hold this amazing thing if you saw on your map a little point goes all the way back over to Jerusalem that land was was treacherous and there would have been a lot of effort to move a lot around the way and so um, he's celebrating that and so he's going to give back a lot of that of this says in verse 5, I will visit you after through Macedonia. And here's his plans. I, I intend to pass through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. Help me financially. Uh, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. It, honestly, does that feel a little noncommittal? Yeah, for, for Paul. I will visit you. I intend to pass through. Perhaps I will stay with you. Maybe I'll spend the winter. Da -da 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 -da. I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits. And so Paul's already alluding to the fact that he will come through Jerusalem. That was the intention before um, chapter 11. And now he makes a specific date that he has to come because he wants to spend with Paul. And he wanted to spend time. He wanted to spend a lot of time. He wanted to winter there with
this mindset comes from his act of discipline and defeat. Okay? This, he opens up with that. Your pride, little one, your open tongue thing. I'm not going to be able to see it. Have it ready to go when I get there. And then he talks about this. He says, if the world hungers. This is a man who's committed to knowing God, being obedient to God's voice after his father died. And we know. This is extremely grateful when we feel this hunger, this desire to eat. And this this is, continue to add, please, Lord, please, I've been, my children say this, and I, I find myself saying it more and more. Why do I say it more? Lord willing. I, and my grandma used to say that all the time. And it would just get a little old. And now I'm like, please, Lord, it's not that old. But I was good. Um, if the Lord permits. And sometimes the Lord doesn't. He might even prevent things from happening. Missionary efforts goals, dreams, and plans that we have that seem really good. I mean, take a look what happened to Paul's life after he served in Acts 16. When he went through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, and was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wait, what? The Holy Spirit told him to not speak the word? Yeah, he did. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. He's righteous. he has a practice of discipline in him. He's not willy-nilly with his thinking. He has a, a system about him. He's disciplined and he's obedient to God. That makes you way more able to hear his voice. If there's one question that I get asked over and over again by women is, how do I know the will of God? How do I know that this is God's will? Is this the will of God? How do I know? And I say, get into discipline Every 
executed every single day under the order of this if the Lord permits mentality because in our daily weekly life we have to accept this So I will stay at Ephesus until I am familiar with the word Pentecost. That was the that was the feast day they were waiting for after the, the resurrection of the infant Jesus. And so these disciples had to stay there until Pentecost. So Pentecost happens, and they're all in Jerusalem. And so this is Paul referring to that exact same feast still taking place. I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. So as he says that, you should be able to find that on your Pentecost happens 50 days after So I talked to you there, okay, then what would be a good sample time? What's the weather like? What about having to relax? So you can see, oh, on the coast, maybe the storms will be in the right time. But at the end of winter, the storms are picking up. Says, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And wouldn't that be great if we could put a pen there? A wide door for effective work has opened to me. And don't we all want that? I do. I am a wide door of effective work. I don't want to keep on keeping on and on and on and on and not doing things to my effectiveness. I want the door to be wide and the effectiveness to be great. And Paul says, no. And there are many adversaries. <laughs> I don't want to follow your example, Paul. in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him. 
with the brothers. Now, if you are paying close attention, you could read between the lines and say, all right, Paul is trying to say, and we'll be up again for this part, but sometimes what they're saying, they think is not the same. They're reading the letter that just ripped them up, right? They're in big trouble. Paul didn't want anything back, and he's flat out. All those people, man, they're, they're ripping and tearing this letter. Some of them might be repenting and getting good news and smoking right now so much, and so he says, hey, look, when Timothy comes, you be nice. <laughs> if you got something against me because I, what I've just written you, don't take it out on my guy. Don't take it out on Timothy. And you know what I see in that? I see that fatherly love that Paul had. You know what else I see? I got an example for each and every one of us. We need to compare other people's hearts and minds with the words and how we describe other people and stop any effort other people have denigrating and make it more difficult for God's servants. So Paul gets ahead of it and says, look, when he comes, you put him at ease. Right? You don't make it difficult for him. Right? He's doing the work of the Lord. And I want you to be on the other side of it. And I keep telling yourself, speak up for your sisters in Christ here at our church or elsewhere. Speak up for them. Tell somebody, give it away. Right? Back off. That person is doing the work of the Lord. He says, let no one despise him. Don't pick on him. Don't look down on him. And he says this in another letter. Go back to 2 Corinthians. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. He says this in 2 Corinthians. So let, let everyone, let uh, everything that you do be done in love and set an example for everyone that is leading the life of Christ. Okay. And he says, help him on his way. In other words, he's going to come and he's going to go. Don't discourage him so much that he gives up while he's there. I am expecting that with the brothers. In other words, Paul knows what picky, tough nuts those Corinthian guys get here. And he's concerned that when Timothy shows up, they're going to be doing all their bad behavior. And he's going to end up so discouraged that he's going to go the other direction and give up. And they're like, go easy on him. Don't be hard on him. I am expecting that um, with the brothers to return. I want him back. He does not want anybody to mess around with his ministry. All right. Then he says, now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it is not at all his will to come. Now he will come and not Paul. Now you can tell this part of Paul again here. So here is this other brother Apollos. Apollos is the one who was prophesied by Priscilla and Aquila in the book of Acts, which we just quoted. Apollos only heard the baptism of John, and he was preaching and doing a great job, but he didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. So Priscilla and Aquila helped him alight and pulled him aside and said, hey, uh, who's John and not one of the guys? This is Jesus. He's baptized. And, and Paul just like lights up and it changes everything for him. And he's just huge, gigantic, effusive speaker. I imagine Apollos was like tall, dark, handsome, big, booming, picturesque man, speaking the strong word. He's the one that people were throwing baptisms around at the beginning of the Corinthian letter. You know, I love Apollos, you know. It's like the, the breakfast club of all the people, right? And the jock team is over here, and the shy guys are over here, and the awkward guys over here. I don't think I ever said that, but that was fun. Anyway, <laughs> so and he says, look, concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you. Now listen, 
Did he have to do any smart raising with Timothy? No. He just said, be nice. Timothy's coming. Apollos, I was going to send also, maybe also because he was the good guy in the world, and Timothy was the young-looking guy, and maybe he thought Apollos would help Timothy present his case. We don't know. Um, but he, I just love the heart of Paul, and I love this. This is leadership on Paul's required side. I strongly urged him to visit, and then I was ticked off because he decided to do his own thing. No. It was not his will at all to come. And so Paul, wow, I am a good guy. I met with Jason in Ephesus. He pulled me aside at Arabia, and we had a long little trip together, and I went up to his heaven, the third or fourth heaven, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I agree. Stop. <laughs> no. Paul knows that God has given a special gift to people, and he trusts that Paul is required from him to take care of business. Otherwise, there would be a disciplinary remark from Paul calling out Apollos, and don't think Paul was scared to do that, because he absolutely was. Later on in his ministry, he flat out talks about people who abandoned him in his ministry. If Apollos was in the wrong here, Paul would have said it. And it's him. I strongly urged him. Timothy said, maybe now is your day of rest, because I was sick of seeing Paul. Here's Paul now in prison. But it's not just that, that's not all it is. And so with that, and encouragement, and that insight to Paul as a leader, I speak to you who are in positions of leadership or in parts of your career right now, and you are just one of the many. Paul's already called us in the church family. He equips us according to ability for the way in the book. So he says from this beautiful reminder to these and he moves over here now to verse 13. Constantly raised from the ranks almost like a caterpillar on the soil, watching out from his eyes. We spoke to this in the first minute of Bible study. As we look at this, I want you to think about every single conversation that Jesus had. And you know this. I've taught you this in my books and in the Bible and in my teachings. What he says, be watchful. Who is the dirtiest group of knucklehead Christians who don't pay any attention and taking each other to court and taking each other away from it all and all of that. Who? They are not watchful at all, right? He says, be watchful, or maybe your translation, be on the alert. These are dopey, bad-behaving Corinthians that Paul has had to call out because of their lack of watchfulness. This seems mean to their ears. And this is more than simply not speaking. This implies a mental awareness and an eager attitude, an eagerness to pay attention. Imagine they're on a long, long, long road trip. Maybe you've done that before, and it's not a bad excuse. Like, hey, go look at that. Whoa, you should have stepped on this. Oh, oh, oh. They, yeah, the letter from Paul was a wake-up call, like he bumped on the brakes. I'm going to go see these guys up before they crash. Right? He says next, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And this is one of the understandings being in the faith or in faith can be either way in this context. But the point is, again, it's a reversal of how they were taught to behave. If they knew what they believed, acted in accordance, this is what they did not follow. And it's the same with us. We have to stand firm. I read to you the word of God, what we believe. Stand firm. Don't give in. And that's the same thing with this church. It's the same thing with because you're not going to snap your fist at your wife who has said you are useless and you are stop, stop, stop. Guys, it is literally the Greek uh, word 
God says to you, right? And it's, it, it implies courage because that's how men are viewed. We should be like that, right? We should be manly men. We should be courageous. Act like men. Man up. Don't, don't be shirking back and, 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 and cowering away from the action. Man up. Get your shoulders back. You have the truth. You have the hope. You have the kingdom. You have everything that this world is longing for. Don't be so dopey asleep. Wake up. Be watchful. Stand firm. You have the truth. You have the faith. Act like men. Shoulders back. Marching forward. He says, be strong. And this is the only verb phrase here that's in the passive tense. Everything else is a command, 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 command. This word is actually in the past tense. It's be made strong. Because strength comes from Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm weak on my own. I'm pathetic on my own. And oh, we're going to get into that word also in 2 Corinthians, right? So be made strong. Allow God to work and submit to him so that he will strengthen you. And then truly let all that you do be done in love. Love. Never forget chapters 8 to 10. Manliness is in the tone that we talk about. says then in verse 15, now I urge you, I urge, I beg, I plead with you. You know that the household of Stephanas, where they were first converted, so this is the idea of being persecuted, persecuted by the church, but the, they were the first converts to Judea, and Judea is the place that we get the word Christianity. And, and so this family, the whole group of people, Stephanas, they, they're like the representation of the victims of the cross in Acts. They were the first they have such an important place in the kingdom of God. They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. The service of the saints, that's where, where we get our word deacon, diaconos, service to holiness. That word devoted is from the Greek word kase, and it has the meaning of being addicted. And I want you to think of the quality, the nature of something of someone who has an addictive addicted personality, develop a habit. The habit becomes strength over time. It doesn't become habit about killing your teeth, but there's a certain craving, right? And then what satisfies you today won't satisfy you tomorrow. You need a bigger habit. Right? You need more. That's exactly how Paul is describing Stephanus. They have been addicted. They themselves, and, and there's an emphasis here in the Greek, because you have this word, they themselves have addicted themselves to the diaconos of the Holy One, the elders, right? Now listen, listen. If you've ever found someone who's struggled with addiction, you have probably yourself been a passive addict. I want you to think about how you feel when you're around that person. And God has given you that ability. Not if you just can say, oh, I've got addictive personality. Guys, get addicted to coffee. Get addicted to being drunk. They have addicted themselves to the service of the saints. If you, because an addict can't get enough, they're never satisfied. Ladies, this is how I feel when I'm in the word of God. I will probably never fill up an actual church because I'm so addicted to studying. I'm trying to have a pleasure trip to have to get up here and do it. Otherwise, I would just keep going. I love it that much. And I go through withdrawals. You don't want to do 
And then the, you're going to hear in the zeal, the exuberance, and the love that all these people have. And they are going to, you know, sending you off in a sense of you receive the burden of their heartiness and their love and their thanksgiving for you. All that's wrapped up in this new sources. And you respond by giving each other with a boldness. I'm so excited that because you're going to come together and you're going to, like, do like you're doing here. Come on, man. Come on. Right? That's the idea. Like, bond together. Don't push each other apart because that's what our sin tends to do. When we've been called out, we might be tempted to do that because we know darn well that we're called to something else. I know I'm going to do that. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you. Because we know we still come back together and hold each other with love. And I'm so proud of us that we have that we have done that. Paul, I, I, I write this to you with my own hand. Now, this is also a complicated presence and presence of Galatians as well. And I know that he had the habit of taking his pen from the Emmanuelite system, which the guy who was writing this letter from, he didn't think big and started writing it down. And um, many people think that Paul was perhaps a Greek philosopher, probably like Seneca, right? Greek philosopher. That's what it says he was called by Seneca. Thought at the very time he began his life, many people heard that people would say, oh, that Paul was a Greek scholar. Again, this is a time of he could, certainly could have just let it die with this Emmanuelite stuff. Kind of an indie band, right? <laughs> just keep it self-indulgent, right? No, I am writing to you. He is writing. This is not a life written for me. I am writing this to you. He says, my eyes have no love for the world that is out there. In other words, after all that I've said, if you don't love the world, I'm not going to either. That means you have an object devoted to destruction. And this is interesting because Paul in here is not writing to anybody. He's writing to believers. This is the church. This is what the Corinth was saying. And so what he's saying here is, look, if you don't have love, and this word love, by the way, we find this Greek word for love, this is eros. This is agape love. If you don't have that mentality, that brotherly love, that our brother Jesus is the most beautiful brother that the Father has ever had, if you don't have that same Everything you're going through, you're a pig, right? Human beings are pigs. And this is Paul's way of saying, look, everything that I've written to you in this letter isn't to say this is about you. If you know it, say it's about me. This is the living word of God. This is Jesus himself that I'm writing to you. And don't turn this in to Lewis because he's pretty upset about this whole thing. And then he says, we don't have love anymore. So what he's saying is, anathema to Maranatha. This is what language looks like, Maranatha, by the way. It's not anatha. It's actually an Aramaic word. I think it's actually an Aramaic word. And the idea is that the Lord is at hand. The Lord, I think the idea is our Lord is at hand. This is why we say that he's at hand. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. You know, the apostles were called to be Christ's holy priests for all time. Which is, I think, the reason why all the Gospels were written to all believers. Because the problem with that, I'm all alone. Oh my goodness, you know, I'm old. I'm not that old. If I could step back, <laughs> but he's not back yet, right? Maranatha is the Lord's at hand, right? And so the apostles have to live like that. Go back and reread now all of First Corinthians that we've gone through with this Maranatha's power of love. Because you know what? At times we have to come back to that. And the idea also, I'm going to come back to that. Of 
things are just like gifted in ways that you don't even think are possible. I just think that every single person, every one of those things that we add to the world, every one of those companies is building a home for the rest of their descendants. And that's the point. I just think that's the beauty of it. It is really amazing. Just think back over the last, I mean, if you folks are around and we read 1 Corinthians as we we have been this summer, like, I think that that's every bit as important because it is written for you. You created every one of you. You finished your work. In fact, there's more than one of you that I know of that have finished their work. But you know, that's the point. Father God, we thank you once again for this beautiful day to be able to look at it in your word and to and to properly consider and study your word in your word. have any questions we'll see what our time frame is tonight 8 15 on the nose but Why? 
been involved. Like, you think about, a lot of the artists we wrote have exited. Um, others, people got to kind of see and act and interact the way we did. But if you find our effortlessly Google Maps, and then, honestly, I've done this, go to Google Maps, mm-hmm. and then map it to Harlem for one thing, yeah. but map it to Washington. Yeah. Change it, instead of driving, change it to Washington. And then see how long it would take per day, and then add like another two or three days to that because they would not have had all the conveniences. And um, if you do it today, there's no one to fix it. You know what's really interesting is is when we were studying um, for Cannabis Approved, and I was trying to map like we just went to Chapel Hill, go to Google and map rivers and all that. And so I was like, what's the most popular country that people go to? There's there's Bucharest here, and there's all these areas that are overlooked. And so it was on our first search that we're like, we have three days for that. Like, we didn't even say the first one was really that bad. The three days that we were going to get most of that adopted, and I realized that I could hear the sirens way out <laughs> and loud, like it's modern times. But anyway, um, you can, I, I believe in GPS, to be honest, to find out and uh, get us there and to get questions.
starting off, it was just like two or three blocks from my home. You know, being 